Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. I'm seeing red. Don't think you'll have to see my face again. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Rob and Barr. Hola. What's up? We also have Bill Graham. Hell yeah. Okay. I say this every week, but there is a weird energy here today, and I don't know how to handle it. They always get surprised. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I just also, I keep feeling like one of these days, one of you is going to have like an intro that's cohesive and aligned no. with the movie we're talking about. And Rob is just Never. busting him with Spanish and Bill's cursing. And so, anyway, no. that's, that's was that a curse word? Hell yes. Hell no. I'm sorry. I wasn't saying hell yes. I was saying hell question mark <laughs> yes exclamation point. Okay, let's move on. Our guest for today is Jazz Tankay. Yay, full time forever. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We we are in fact here today to to discuss perhaps the greatest mystery of any cinematic mystery ever. Uh why are they called Four Town if there's five of them? Yeah, I I I felt seen, but I also felt like I was I was the mom in the movie because literally like 10 minutes before she asks it I turned to Erica I was like wait there's five of them and then she says it and I was like oh I'm the mom oh okay yeah, you've like, turned I feel like the name four town is really like the dividing line that lets you know where you fall in this movie's taxonomy um but before we get yes. to that by the way the movie we're talking about <laughs> is turning red uh, the newest film from uh, Pixar Animation, this one by writer-director uh, Domi Shi. I believe I said that correctly. Yes, I am Domi Shi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yelling. <laughs> um, but anyway, before we get into that, Jazz, would you like to introduce yourself to our uh, studio audience? Sure. Well, I'm Jazz Tanke. You can find me on Twitter at Jazz T and on Instagram at Jazz T21. And I am the senior artisans editor at Variety. And I cover everything to do with the crafts of a movie or animation. Awesome. You are perfect for this episode, which again is about turning red, which is on Disney Plus right now, and uh, I will have a whole ass rant about that as we get into the movie. But before we do that, the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook The Film Stage Show, email us podcast at filmstage.com, and of course, give us a comment or rating on iTunes or whatever podcast you use. And don't forget that we are brought to you uh, by our patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash show to become one of those. And, of course, we are brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one that you've never heard of before. And there will always be something new to discover. One of the movies that is on there that is uh, super interesting to me um, that I just just realized how... Not okay it is for me to put this in front of a uh, podcast about a children's film, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I don't think any children listen to this. Um, is the 20- Not even Cora? Um, she listens sometimes when I'm editing it, and she says, is that you? 
And yeah. She says, that's crazy. And I say, yeah. And then when I like put on music or something, she's like, no, I want to listen to your podcast. And I was like, that's not happening. All right, brown <laughs> Maybe when you get older, kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like I want to like, you know, make whiskey. And it's like, all right, look, I love that you love me and you want to take after me. But I need some more like, you know, age appropriate things for you to feel like you want to do. Mm. So yesterday she told me she wanted to be a dog walker when she grew up. And I was like, oh, finally. <laughs> so, <laughs> not going to get me in trouble. Anyway, the movie I want to highlight for you today is Feast from 2021. Purposefully resisting our expectations of the true crime drama, Feast provocatively expands the possibilities of nonfiction storytelling. This dramatic reconstruction of a Dutch sex party scandal offers no easy answers, but rather complicates the already murky waters of truth, desire, and consent. And if that doesn't sound like a friggin' awesome double bill with Turning Red, I don't even know what does. So if you (laughs) would like to check out that, amongst the many other great films that are on MUBI, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of MUBI. Check it out. So that's that. Um, and now, without further ado, uh, we can get into our feature review, which again is of the Pixar Animation Studios film Turning Red uh, by director and writer Domi Shi, who previously did Bao. And this movie uh, stars the voice talents of Rosalie Sheng and Sandra Oh, uh, amongst many others. And I'm super excited to talk about it. And here is the trailer. Let's go. Mm. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 7 I know, it's a lot. But I don't got time to mess around. Oh, about that hustle, am I right? Poor town. This is gonna be the best year ever. And nothing's gonna get in my way. That is part of the trailer for Turning Red, which again is out on Disney Plus now because Disney has decided to relegate Pixar to streaming only for the time being because they're an evil company that occasionally puts out good media that we have to talk about despite the rampant evil. Um, Excited to talk about this movie. Very, very excited. Uh, It is about a young woman in Toronto who, uh, upon hitting puberty... Turns into a giant red panda whenever she loses her cool. We're here to talk yep. about it. I yep. would argue that she is not a young woman. She's a girl. She's all right. You know what? She's thirteen. She is. <laughs> She's a child. Uh, all right. Wait. So when do you when do you when would you call someone a young woman? Eighteen. Okay. All right. That's acceptable. Yeah. All right. Agreed. I agree. I don't know. Here's the thing. And this is not to make an excuse for my word choice, but maybe it is. I just feel like I can't, I like try not to ever say girl anymore because in my head, I'm like a 14 year old boy. So if I'm interested in a 35 year old woman, that's still the girl I like. But then people are like, 
She's not a girl. She's a woman. So I've like started actively avoiding the term girl ever. But um, you have to know the context. I know. Like, is she a, crazy. Is she a minor or not? She is 100% a minor, which is why I said when she hits puberty. And yes, me saying all of that stuff together is insane. So yes, she is a girl, a 13 year old girl who upon hitting puberty uh, transforms into a red panda whenever she loses control of her emotions. So this movie, as I said, is on Disney Plus, and we're here to talk about it. We begin with our nutshell reviews, and we begin with our guests. Jazz, what are your thoughts on Turning Red? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I've never never laughed so hard. Um, And I really liked the idea of a boy band and just this whole um, thing of, like, just being a teenager wanting to go and see, you know, your favorite band in concert and having like a dragon mother being like, you know, no, you can't go and you doing whatever you can behind their back, your parents back to go and see that person or that group in concert. So this is, this is my hot take on it. It's so relatable. And then obviously the Asian culture aspect that Domi she wove into the story was just so beautiful and you know that's the kind of household that I grew up grew up in so I totally loved every aspect of that and I came out and was like wait Four Town is not a real band you are never gonna see them in concert girl <laughs> um which is and super yeah, awkward when just- you have their song stuck in your head <laughs> oh my gosh I as soon as you played the trailer it's like stuck in my head now and I took my friend's son to see it and he was like tapping like he was like you know like I could tell he was enjoying it and it was like okay well you're the target audience did you love it and he loved it and I was like okay that mm-hmm. yeah I, it was just fun uh, and I did get to see another big screen, so I will say that like that made a huge uh, difference. Wow, so we're jelly. <laughs> so jealous. Yeah. Of, they of, didn't even offer in-person screenings out here. No, we got like links to like watch it on my. And we had to sign our lifeblood away. Oh yeah, I didn't even with watch the... it early because I was like, I don't like this because I I wanted to watch it with my daughter. And the thing said, like, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how old they are. You can't watch this with anyone else. Go to another room. Lock the door. Hold a gun. (laughs) Like, don't let anyone know what you're doing. And I was like, all right, calm down, Disney. I'm just going to wait a week. Mm -hmm. But I I started watching it with the watermark across, you know, the the middle of the screen. And, like, that kind of takes away from it. Um, and I definitely enjoyed seeing that like at El Capitan, you know, mm. and seeing it with a crowd, which mm. I feel, I mean, you know, and then you can come home and you watch it on Disney plus from like March 11 and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's still fun, but I think the cinematic experience, it, it made that so much more enjoyable. Yeah. I, I'm it, very jealous in, of that. Sorry, I was just going to say, I was like, oh, no, girl, you need fine. to stop. You're, like, rubbing it in. No, no, I love it. I'm glad like someone got to experience. You got to see Four Town in person, and I just had to listen to them on the radio. Mm-hmm. All five of them. All five of Four Town. All right. Robert. Uh, <laughs> Bill Graham, what did you think of Turning Red? Uh, I, I mean... 
I saw it on my TV, which I think is awesome, and my sound system, so I fucking cranked that shit, and uh, <laughs> I love this movie. Um, this was a blast. Uh, I didn't really know what to, what to expect because the uh, director, Domichi, Domichi, uh also directed and uh, created the short Bow, which is fucking weird. Like, that that short is delightful but it also is about being eaten as a dumpling it's uh, a metaphor so it's, i understand it's a, it's a metaphor like, but it's it's really fucking trippy too it was, that one was before incredibles 2 right i'm not sure yes, when it yes. was because i remember it like was. the the opening of the incredibles and i was like trying to watch it through my eyes that were still filled with tears and i was like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> it's like the time yeah. that like buttered you up before another movie and i was just like you guys can't start this way mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so i didn't know quite what to expect but this one this one's kind of right down the middle but what i will say is that lately pixar and even disney as well have kind of been playing around with us this idea that their films just won't have like enemies or bad guys or antagonists whatever you want to call them right like this film is another one in a long string of them lately from the two companies where it's just like yeah it's just kind of life is it sucks sometimes and that's it and it's just like wow okay it need to be and a witch or a dragon your parents yeah are fuck you up exactly and, and speaking of speaking of dragons uh this film also you know heavily centers on on asians um but it doesn't feature dragons which i heard from another podcast that i was listening to uh before this one uh that they were just like holy shit like finally no no dragons in Take like you know Asian, yeah, Raya. Whether it's Shang Chi, whether it's Mulan, and it's just like okay, come on, like we, we have other things, like we like other things, and so yeah, this one centers on the red panda, uh, and she kind of said that it wasn't necessarily like an an Asian thing. I thought red pandas definitely are but you know i could be wrong um but this red panda is uh not the red panda from kung fu panda no no uh this is a giant red panda um and surprise some of them get even bigger um and yeah i really fucking enjoyed this uh i i I agree with our guest, Jazz. Uh, the music is fantastic. Um, I can't stop playing <laughs> like the Floor Town songs. Um, they're catchy as fuck. And then I realized why they were catchy as fuck. Yep. Ludwig Gorenson <laughs> is behind like the entire soundtrack. And then Billie Eilish uh, and her brother like co-wrote th- the music. And so it's just like, oh, fuck. Wait, like, is, come on. Can you, who is Ludwig Gordonson? Ludwig Gordonson is a very popular uh, sound uh, cinema score person. What, how the fuck do you? Composer. <laughs> so he did, wow. he did The Mandalorian. He did Black Panther. He's also a very famous music producer he uh did the music for this is america which is childish gambino's like breakout oh, okay, hit yeah. oh. um he's he's like 
in there and he's made a ton of different music lately and this is another one that he composed and he like i said he's also a music composer as well or producer as well so i think he probably had a little bit of a hand in like uh eilish and um her brother i can't remember his name off the top of my head phineas Um, yes yeah phineas um I'm sure he had a hand in, in producing that the music on this as well. Um, because of course, some of those themes, some of those kind of beats and stuff like that kind of bleed into the soundtrack itself. Um, but yeah, uh, I also love this streak of like Sandra O oh and maybe James Hong are kind of the, the two big names in this. And James Hong is like, plays the very minor character. Sandra O oh plays the major character, but she's, she's not like Sandra O. Oh. It's like, Oh, I recognize that voice. Right. And I love that they just utilize voice actors right and that's kind of what these people are um and yeah i love the animation style here as well i i fucking love the the red panda i can't wait to see more of that thing um i'm actually really excited you know it Yes, it sucks that this is on Disney Plus and, you know, it's not in theaters, so I can't recommend to go see it in theaters. But also, like, I can just be like, hey, turn it on. Like, (laughs) that's great. So there's that. But there's also a 45 minute documentary just sitting there on Disney Plus right now that I'm like, yeah, probably tomorrow. I will turn that on and just be like, give me more of this. So, yeah, that's how much I like this. Yeah. 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 It's called like making turning red or something like that. It pops up right <laughs> after the movie's over. It's oh, cool. called yeah. Embrace the Panda and it's really good. And I think that's one of the great things, right? About Disney Plus is how they embrace not just the panda, but they embrace like the behind the scenes of mm-hmm. everything Pixar, everything Marvel, everything Disney. So like we get to go inside the shows afterwards and it's, they're fascinating to watch. And yeah, Embrace the Panda is really good. Awesome. Okay. Good. Robin Barr. That's it. Robin Barr. Um, love this movie. So I, I wasn't sure what to expect because I think as uh, our benevolent Lord and Master Jordan Raup had sort of intimated before we chose to cover this movie, he's like, oh, this, you know, this looks a little dreams worky, dreams worksy. This looks blue skyish. I don't even know if he said that, but he kind of thought like oh it just looks really generic and you know from the from the trailer i kind of agreed but i was really really interested in this story and i had seen on twitter all these people saying like oh this is so cow arts like this is so ugly bean mouth you know they were really um down or like denigrating the artistic style i didn't realize where, that cow arts was like a a thing like a denigration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, at least among maybe animation people, maybe it's seen as, I don't know, less than or a certain style that's like unbecoming of Pixar. I'm, I, I that's what I at least gleaned from some of these comments. And I, and you hadn't heard any of this about Luca, you know, like the round faces or anything. So I think it was, you know, like either misogynistic or xenophobic or something. Well, that, so that people I, were you know, not not to push back on that because I'm sure that some misogyny and xenophobia was involved in in the response to this movie. But I know that um, when I had mentioned it on the Luca podcast that I had clicked on a Luca ad on Twitter, 
And it was just nothing but people being like, ew, like they look so weird. This looks like DreamWorks, like, you know, B-level blue sky. Like people really seemed to be turning on on Luca for its like cartooniness. Hmm. And so I Yeah, and I definitely want to get into that. Yeah, it's it's a weird like blowback that I think Pixar like did too good being real. And in I don't know, but what's weird is that no one really said it about inside out. Yeah, I don't know, I maybe because, because it was emotions. in a more yeah. fantasy world, and that's the reason for it. But Indeed. at least that that's my took my takeaway. Um, but I, I end up really, really loving this movie because it's number one, incredibly funny. Um, the artistic style really matches the comedic style and and they do so much um, like anime homage that really, really works. It's like this endlessly gifable movie. Um, and it's something that I would like to actually watch again to really see how how these minute and like micro facial changes really add to the laughability of the movie because I think that's that's so there but it's like has this incredibly manic style that i didn't notice all these like tiny details uh as i was watching it because it was just it's so uh it's such a hyper film i also loved you know what a lot of people are calling its horniness um i i think horny is like a bit of a strong (laughs) word for what these girls are experiencing but there is a and i hope we get into this in spoilers it's a really funny scene where um uh mother catches her drawing something <laughs> really <laughs> unique <laughs> and i incredibly related to that as somebody who was very very into harry potter erotica when i was in middle school um and like one time my aunt walked in on me reading something inc- like incredibly inappropriate uh on her computer on this like fan fiction website and the mortification that she feels in that moment is really high not just because like if they had just caught me reading like joy of sex or something like that's right like you know, understandable pornography <laughs> of like a normal type would be preferable to like getting caught with like weird slash fic with like fox robin hood and fox made marion exactly <laughs> exactly um and something that should like in a very, I think, Tina Belcher way, just marries eroticism and nerdiness in a very embarrassing way. So I think real hard Tina Belcher vibes from some of the stuff in this movie, which was as a compliment. A hundred percent. And I wrote this piece a few years ago about this resurgence of horny nerd girls on TV. And this was like when pen 15 had come out and I was comparing her to like Tina Belcher and all these um, other characters who are just like unapologetically dorky and also, you know, interested in boys, you know, it's, it, sometimes you get um, a, a trope of like a girl who's super shy and this and that. And so it really like embraced this thing that I experienced when I was like a nerdy teenage girl who was absolutely thirsty um, for certain types of people, not necessarily the obvious folks. So that, so one thing I did want to mention too, is like, there's a lot of conversation about the relatability of this movie, um, whether you can relate to a, you know, a Chinese Canadian girl living in Toronto who, you know, in 2002, um, you know, I can't speak to that, but I was born in 88. I was the same age as this character, uh, while she was experiencing these things. And I loved the memoiristic, sort of memoiristic nature of this movie. I mean, obviously people don't poof into pandas, but 
uh, it's, it's clearly coming from a very personal place. And it totally brought me back to this time in my life where I wasn't into boy bands. I kind of like, I went straight from like Spice Girls to The Offspring. So I kind of didn't have that experience of Backstreet Boys so, Ew, to the I'm point Robin. where like, I'm I, too cool for boy bands. Eh. <laughs> I love Spice Girls. I was like, I was into pop. It was just not, I wasn't into sort of the Ken doll type of pop. Uh, and I remember yeah, I this Dexter's pressure to like, really Ken Dolly type. Who's Dexter? Isn't that isn't that the the <laughs> name of the lead singer of The Offspring? Oh, Dexter Holland. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't lusting after him. I, I you know, my whole thing. I was into like Seth Green at the time and like Billy Elliot, and those were my crushes in fifth grade. Um, but what I'm saying is, like, even though it it was, even though I wasn't into those things, even though I felt like social pressure to pick my favorite Backstreet Boy, that I totally faked it. It Which was one still did you fake. Oh, Brian, I think. <laughs> really? Brian? I still think he's the cutest, like, by default, or, like, the lesser of five evils or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, even if it wasn't this thing where, like, oh, I can, you know, that was my life on screen, it's still this incredibly universal story of puberty and breaking away from your family and feeling like you, you know, should be able to do your own thing. And it's not like my family was a similar experience. Like, like Jazz, you were saying, you kind of came from like a family like Maylin's and, and my family never made me feel like I had to be somebody else. But I do remember my grandmother, like hiding any CD that had curse words in it. Like, cause she called it like (laughs) classless, just like the mom in this movie. It's like, Oh, that's so (laughs) crass. I mean, who who hasn't experienced that from a parent? Who, oh, yeah. I mean, my, my parents yeah. still, like, it takes a lot to get them to accept any usage of cursing. Because they're just like, that's just the lazy thing to do. Like, that's just... Oh, God, I know. The, I, the word crass was triggering, <laughs> honestly. See, but I listened to a very profane punk band named Crass. So for me, it just became, like, a hilarious in-joke that they would never understand. That's very cute. That's I know. Cute. That's my life. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was definitely, in, I mean, my, my dad was into like Perry Como. So anything beyond the crooners was just totally inappropriate to him. And he's like, you listen to this. And I don't know why you girls like these Beatles so much. <laughs> no, I told you he was, he thought the Beatles were hippies and like too radical for him. That is incredible. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, a, a lot of people did. Uh, that's true, but my father was born in 43, so he really shouldn't have felt that way. <laughs> yeah, right, he sure. was contemporaneous <laughs> with them. Like, he shouldn't have... Yeah, I think my dad was just a contrarian, and that's where I get it from. But anyway, love this movie so much. It's I'm sure it's going to be in my top 10, uh, and I'm excited to, you know, talk more in depth about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, lo- I loved this movie. It was very, like, you know, I don't feel like at this point that's shocking to anyone, um, <laughs> well, I Brian mean, liking anything is shocking to me. I was about to say, other than the fact that I generally haven't liked a lot of movies recently, but it's like it's a Pixar movie. Like, of course, I'm going to like it at least a little bit. Like, I even like the Good Dinosaur, you know. And that's oh, God. not an ideal Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, the the other day, uh, my daughter was helping me to um, spread grass seed, and she said, "This is just like that movie with the green dinosaur who helped his dad." 
And I was like, yeah, it is. It is like The Good Dinosaur. And she and I have only watched that together like once. So I am shocked that she remembered it. And for some reason remembered the pastoral opening scenes where they're farmers and not any of the <laughs> cool, drunken, hallucinatory nature scenes. Um, speaking of which... I, I haven't not... seen this movie, so I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, well, yeah, you should check it out. It's like 80 minutes long. It's it's pretty good. Um mm. I'm one of the only people who thinks that. Um, I've seen it. It's, it. I have strange memories because I went my friend's twins. They were really young at the time. And I think one actually got scared and had decided to run out. Oh, so yeah, I that, chased him out. And that movie is super dark in places. Like it's, it is a, it is, it is definitely, you can feel like everyone involved, not quite being sure what the hell they're doing. But uh, I think that it leads to some fun stuff. But we're not here to talk about The Good Dinosaur. Uh, we're here to talk about Turning Red. And I uh, really loved this movie. I will say that my daughter has not yet had a chance to watch it. Um, I, I had to watch it without her. I know. However, when I was queuing up my tabs to uh, produce this show, um, she has apparently seen the trailer, uh, I guess, while she was watching like uh, one of her snake videos on YouTube. And... So she asked me to play the trailer again. And then for the rest of the night, she just kept saying boots and cats over and over again. <laughs> and so she's really looking forward. I told her we could watch it tomorrow. So, but I'm assuming that she's giving it a preemptive A plus. So that's that. Yay. Yay. Hopefully. I mean, preemptive is still. She's, mm. she's already more enthusiastic about the trailer than she was about any part of Raya and the last dragon. So she's I'm too young confident. for that. Yeah. That movie was really yeah. like, like too much for her she was like this is not interesting to me um she doesn't understand these like political so implications fucking lore anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like that movie i it's fine um this movie on the other hand is uh great it's awesome i love the animation style i love the energy i love the and the energy like it just like vibrates with that kind of like insane unhinged hormonal like madness of youth when anything is possible and everything is the most important or most devastating thing that's ever happened. And it's got a great sense of humor. I just, it's like all around, like just so much fun. The music again is incredible. <laughs> and like the, the visions of like friendship and family are great. Uh, we've talked about a lot of the voice actors. I would like to highlight um, Ryan Lee as Jin, um, the father in this movie. Who oh yeah. Like I every time, and this is just how I'm going to have to live the rest of my life, I guess. Every time I see a movie, I'm like, how are they going to character assassinate the father? Like, what's going to? Oh my god! And then, but this is one of those movies where that doesn't happen. It's well, it's it's unfortunately, Robin. It's like uh, from like years of being a single dad, but being assumed to be like, oh, are you babysitting today? It's like, no, this is my fucking child. All right, get the chip off your shoulder. I can't. It's stuck there. Uh, it's embedded. Um, Glued. <laughs> but no, he's he's awesome. I loved uh, many of the scenes with him. Um, we'll talk about most of them in spoilers. Um, and Wait, I just want to say that Eat, Drink, Man, Woman homage was... Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I, that was the point where you're just like, oh, right, yes. This is, in fact, the director of Bao. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I just really, I really like this movie's commitment to its, its weirdness. It, it, it is clearly saying something real and grounded, 
but it never allows that to impact the the visual or narrative like tonal set to 11 that it's going for um and it's a uh, it's really awesome it's really great and the the way in which the panda is unleashed uh allows <laughs> for a lot of really awesome good old fashioned like cartoony stuff which as i've said i jinx yeah which as i've said from like luca and stuff is something that i am really excited that we are we're getting in our stuff you know don't get me wrong i love soul with its weird ass like investigation into the possibility of life after death and what it means to be alive but sometimes you just want to see someone fall from a great height and, <laughs> you know it's that's the end song for this yeah. pod <laughs> um but yeah so well, uh yeah. five out of five i guess i like it you know looking at it i was like i can't really think of anything wrong i will say that like it was <laughs> I don't know a better way. It was triggering at points for reasons that we've already talked about. Like, I don't know the amount of secondhand embarrassment that I had mm-hmm. in this oh, movie man. was like, it <laughs> reminded me of the first time I watched meet the parents of just like curling into a ball and cringing because I couldn't <laughs> believe something was happening to someone. And that was like the first 30 to 40 minutes of this movie yeah. was just a powerhouse of that. And it was great and terrible all at once. And then after that, it, you know, we get into the panda hijinks, which is just amazing, but it still pops up every now and then. And it's, um, it's incredible. It's, it's great. I love, I love movies like this where, and this is something I've talked about before about how you can have these people who live lives that are so separate from yours, but in, in the details you find out like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like all of this is the same. Like this is how, my my grandfather, I remember when we watched uh, the Small Axe films, I talked about, um, I think it was Black and Blue is the name of the one where John Boyega becomes a cop. And I was like, yeah, oh, these are completely different years. They're completely different people, obviously, in completely different countries. But I saw so many parallels and it felt so real. And this movie, I don't have a whole hell of a lot uh, it, like in common with May. She's a better student than I am. She is, in fact, a female um she lives you grew up in the same era that she did so that was weird though i and this is not like a criticism but it is something i need to point out or else it's going to eat me alive from the inside this movie takes place in 2002 but all of the technology is like 2001 all right what again it's not a criticism i just need to say it it's just a thing that because i I, that's that's literally so microscopic but and I'm, like again, also in 2002, you were using 2001 technology. No, no, 2000. Wasn't this 2022? Wasn't it like? No, it's this, no, no, it's, oh, 2002. Oh, okay, I missed. You keep something. saying oh, okay. 2002. <laughs> I know I messed up, but no, I thought this was like present day. Oh, okay, so then yeah, no, no complaints. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, I feel I, like you missed an essential part of this movie. <laughs> well, I well I didn't even. So what happened was they have the opening where they show the calendar, the pictures in the calendar, which again was something that made me cringe because I have been in those pictures in mm-hmm. those calendars that you get from like a church or whatever. And I thought it said 2022. And maybe that's just because that's how my brain is wired now because it is 2022. And then at the end, they didn't really ever bring up the date again until the end when they did the, um, I can't even talk about it. There was a point at the end where they wrote the, uh, the date and I thought it said 2022. 
But no, okay. So you fucked up twice. I did, yeah. Yeah, my brain interpolated. Impressive. I know, it's crazy. (laughs) Now you have to rewatch this movie with like a completely different framework. Well, no, because again, I forgot what the date was, what I thought the date was supposed to be for the entire run of the movie. So it wasn't until the end where I was like, oh God, wait, it's 20 years later than I thought it was? No, it wasn't. Oh, no. You thought it was like a, an epilogue? No, I oh my god, this is not hard to understand. I at the beginning of Clearly the movie, it was hard to understand for you. No, I I just forgot what year it was supposed to have taken place in and then at the end they show a year and I thought that it was 2022 and I had gone through the entire movie assuming it was late 90s early 2000s. And then only at the end did I think that I saw something that was 2022. Mm. And then I was like, "Oh, that's weird. That doesn't matter." <laughs> And now we've wasted five minutes working <laughs> oh through boy. that. I think we've helped somebody out there. Possibly. Somebody who completely misread the Brian. Book. If there had just been <laughs> no dates, it wouldn't have mattered. Because I just would have been like, all right, cool. Like, this is just where we're at with the cell phones and the Tamagotchis and everything. Well, speaking of here, I, I, I'll throw you a bone. Uh, there is one of the Four Town songs where they keep saying sus, and that is very much a 2020 Among Us video game kind of like language. I know that was, okay, but uh, I, would I love think. to say, oh, that must be it, but I didn't notice that. and I didn't notice that either. Now I'm just like, how? Yeah, well, when. Exactly. Yeah, I've listened to the soundtrack quite a bit. I uh, I played. I realized today that it was uh, it was available on Apple Music, and so I was just playing yeah. it. I was That's just awesome. working and playing the soundtrack over and over, and I was just like, "They say sus." That's not really a 2002 thing. That's a that's a 2020 thing. That's definitely like in the pop culture now, but not not back then. But anyways, so there, I threw you a bone. Okay, well, thank you. I I, I refuse to accept it. I was just straight up wrong. And again, like I lived the entire movie not having any problem with the reality until the end when I saw that. And even then I was just like, oh, that's weird. It doesn't matter. I, I do like the use of of the tamagotchi. So, yeah. So actually, yes. I am I am contemporaneous with with Mei Lin. We were in fact in fact if this was that time now she's a little younger than me, but basically pretty much. And I do I, this movie. I legitimately was like I should ask my mom if she could find my tamagotchi. <laughs> I told y'all I found my uh, Furby and I tried to turn it on. I tried to and it just it it won't it it. Like wakes up and then it's like it's like I'm going back to bed. I'm sleepy. Oh, no. And then oh my god, and it just keeps doing that. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? And Stop so like I even I even like I uh, I even like read up on it and like did like a hard reset on this creature and still it refuses to like come alive. And I'm just like, yeah, well, this is knows what's going this is on. sad. <laughs> it knows it's not supposed to be in this why timeline. Would it, why would it want to be here? <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway. Anyways. Um, do we have anything to talk about before we get into spoilers? Because I feel like we've heaped uh, just intense amount of praise on it. Would we, would we like to discuss anything in general? Podcast before? over. We liked it. No, I Jazz, I'm curious. Like, how was the nostalgia for you? I mean, it it was so... I, lo- I really love the nostalgic moment of that because like, yeah, Tamag- I mean, Tamagotchis have kind of made a comeback, right? Like 
out of nowhere. It seems like a lot of tweens, teens have them and you're like, hmm, okay. But I just loved that whole, like, that vibe of Do we lose Jess? Right now, I don't know anybody, any other boy band. Um, <laughs> but, like, that's not what the music is right now. So I liked the to go back to, like, you know, what Ludwig Gorenson and um, Phineas and all those guys put together, like, just how they tapped into that. Not that I was a boy band fan either. Like, in the 90s, I went from, like, you know, Guns N' Roses and Michael Jackson, Madonna straight into a share obsession. So it was like, okay. And <laughs> and I think like, you know, it was like, okay, who, who do I like in New Kids on the Block? I don't know. Jordan Knight. Like, is that the right answer? Um, <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. That's exactly how I felt. It was like, I was that one with the weird, like, taste. But it's like, hey, look. Some of them are still going now. Um, Jordan Knight's but, the one who like had a, a second life as like a one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. Like so he did. Right? He, his was the one that was in the uh, amusement park. Is that right? Doesn't matter. Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't, don't even know. mean. There he had like his music video was the one in the amusement park. It doesn't matter. Oh. Let's, Let's move on. He did. He. D- I think he did. But I mean, then the. What's it? Donnie Wahlberg opened up like the Wahlberg chain, but I think I mean I just <laughs> love that there was there was that nostalgic beat, and I think that was in the animation too. Like you know, it wasn't as crisp and as sharp as like what what you would see in like a Pixar movie set now. Versus yeah. there was something like to so the coloring that felt like very two thousand early two thousands. That like neon flavor, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. I I loved um when Malin's hair turns red. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously quite symbolic, but the but the lushness of that red, that like fiery vermilion, just yeah, it's so good to look at, but also changes the like seeing her in every scene with that red hair then you stop remembering that she had that, that dark hair and it just creates yeah. like yeah. this energy in the movie mm-hmm. just visually. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, the, I mean like there are so many good stylistic touches like that and that hair that like when, when you see her hair normal again later in the movie, you're like, Oh my God. I know. I know. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because by that point you're kind of like rooting for her to keep the Panda and that, jarring shift back to that hair color is like just a, a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a reinvigoration of that, that feeling like, Oh, right. Like this, we've been with this so long. It feels right now. And we can see how kind of wrong the other one feels in, in contrast. Okay, let's jump into spoilers, I think. Yay. It's hard to talk about it without spoilers. One of the biggest yeah. laughs that I got was the second uh, fundraising illustration of a panda that we saw. Um, mm-hmm. where they're at the <laughs> where they're at the temple and the tail just keeps going up and they're trying to yes. raise a hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Oh my god. It was so funny. It, it, it was 
It was also funny that they, they, I mean, the original fundraiser, let's talk about it. They needed to raise nearly a thousand dollars for four tickets. Like that is, that is both absurd, but also realistic, even of like that time period. But like now it would be like two to three thousand dollars right like and and the the funny part is like they show up day of and it's like what the fuck are you serious like (laughs) no you had to get those tickets two months ago what are you talking about you know like you don't just show up and just be like okay i would like four tickets to the hottest ticket in in toronto please it's like no that's that's not how that works homer is sleeping in front of the ticket booth and the guy in front of him buys like thirty two thousand tickets Oh, no. <laughs> it reminded me of that because oh, they geez. walk up and they're like four tickets here is a box of cash mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. No, this- and and yeah go ahead no please you go uh it, it, no i was i was gonna say and there's no like uh signature required or anything like that like you know uh i'm sure i i, I don't know how it works but i'm sure there's some kind of permission slip form where it's like okay clearly you are an underage individual capitalism like, baby if you got the cash you can have <laughs> I, I guess I guess but, oh yeah. my gosh yeah. so Robin yes um, you had talked about some other things that you want to talk about when we got into spoilers the mermaid Oh yeah, the mermaid was so horny. That was so horny, and I was, yeah, I was just like, "Wow, we are going for it!" And I I, goes for it. There's that sequence, but then there's also the sequence on the basketball court where, like, the guys realize that the they're they're looking at them, and so like they they start like they start like flexing and stuff like that, and like one of them is like look at his his uh look at his calves and i was just like what <laughs> like that's such a weird thing to focus on look you, when and you're I, when you're a young uh, man, uh you don't know anything about women if you don't know that we're into calves i was about to say also when you're when you're <laughs> it's a boy all about the leg and you've yeah. just started to hit puberty there's not a lot else you've got going for you you know your legs because you've been using them your whole goddamn life are probably your best asset at that point you know you have sure been lifting sure. as a 12 year old you know so. <laughs> no i get it i mean at this point i'm still pretty sure my calves are my best feature like that's just where I'm one thing i really appreciated i mean i do want to get into the merman stuff but what you just mentioned reminded me of the um how much i loved the friend miriam yes and i feel yeah. like i, I need knew a miriam in my life no kidding something about her i will get into that later brian um but something about her really first of all just like the visuals of this like horsey jewish friend who's like the one white girl in like the asian friend group just felt really real to me and something about her um sort of like i'm not saying she was like she just wasn't like super femme um i think she was still you know, a female character, but she really reminded me of, uh, does anybody know like Harley Quinn Smith, the actress who's, uh, Kevin Smith's daughter? No. Does anyone know? No. Uh, Nobody watched Cruel Summer? I, I, wasn't she with Johnny Depp's daughter in, um, Tusk? 
Yeah, yeah. She's that. But she's also in Cruel Summer and very good in it. And she just reminded me so much of this Miriam character. Um, but that's kind of an aside. Anyway, so just shout out to the Miriams of the world. Like you, you are wonderful. And and I okay. loved also just like the whole friend group in general, like that, like every girl, very distinct personalities. Um, yeah. And and oh, yeah, when they when they start singing to her and it like calms her down, I was like, yeah, oh, the magic of friendship. Like, I know, I know. Oh, and it's, and it's something that like I know I battle this whenever I go home with to see my family, which is they don't want me to see my friends. <laughs> They're like, no, no, no. Like you're here to influence. be with family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't even get me started. <laughs> wow, um, that is fucked up. My parents are like, you're definitely gonna go see your friends, right? Uh Man, this That's is like the, this is the one place where our where our parents seem to diverge. Otherwise, they're almost exactly the same people. Well, I think my I think my the people who gave birth to me, my my parents would have been, you know, encouraging because they were wanted me to be social. But my uncle and my aunt, who are kind of like my surrogate parents at this point in my life, mm-hmm. are uh they're a little more possessive, let's just say. So I feel like I battle that every time they go home for the holidays. Like, oh, you're gonna go see those people, those those crass people. Not that they actually say that, <laughs> but it's really that's the sentiment, I think. Uh so that felt that felt very at home to me. Mm. But anyway, back to Merman. Right, yeah. Merman, so like yes. The Kawhi, like with the the hash mark blushing. Thing. I was like, oh, that's cute. That's all right. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's embarrassing, but it's not. And then the mother turns the page and I was like, yep, all right. That's a whole mm-hmm. thing right there. <laughs> like, it, it's so revealing. Like, mm-hmm. you just saw the inner core of this girl's entire pubescent experience. Yes. And again, very Tina Belcher. Just like, yeah. <laughs> so, just like such a. Because I don't feel like you know, and I don't know for, for for those for those that don't know, Tina Belcher is one of the young characters in Bob's Burgers. That uh, who is her voice actress? It's like Dan, uh, Dan Mintz, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got a very distinctive voice, and she's she very is... attractive in real life. By the way, I just think uh. she's cute. Um, okay. but yeah, she's, she's, she's hilarious in the show. And like Robin was saying, what? No, that's the noise she makes. Anytime, oh, yeah. Anything okay. important happens and she can't do anything. She's like, uh, <laughs> that noise lives in my head as like the soundtrack of every, like, there are no good choices to make here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, she's she's a riot in the show if you haven't watched it. Um and she's she's relentlessly like into her shit and horny and just awkward and funny. But yeah. Sorry. And I just want to say something about Tina um which is not really about Tina, it's really about I think outside culture, which is when Bob's Burgers debuted in I think 2011. Uh I think I think there was this prevailing feeling that Louise, who who is this like loudmouth little, you know, ass kicking girl played by Kristen Shaw, I think people thought that she would be the breakout character of the show. Like the show very heavily leaned on her as the, as the, uh, you know, just like yammerer that they thought you know girls wanted or like female just women and girls and people wanted to see like somebody who was like a sharp as attack eleven year old kid. 
And the real breakout of the show ended up being Tina Belcher, who is this, you know, sort of like chubby, nerdy horn dog. Well, so I think that the the one you love in the moment is Louise. And the one that you think about an hour later is Tina. And I think that one of the, one of the, I don't know why we're talking about Bob's Burgers, but like one of the the smart things about that show is how they split that. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they're really good foils for each other, for sure. But I really think if anybody what is like the image of Bob's Burgers, it is Tina. And I think this movie speaks to that wider culture where there's, a, there's I think, in some ways, many more women who are willing to be their weirdo, their weirdo nerdy selves, uh, much more culture. It's like much more uh, culturally visible now than it was 10 years ago. Um, so I think... I thank Turning Red for continuing this conversation and also shows like Pen15 and and Bob's Burgers and Sex Education that really bring these types of uh, these types of like archetypes to the forefront. Yeah. Because Malin's ultimately an archetype. But I was gonna say what's so great though is like, you know, obviously we all get the, you know, the metaphor that the film is for, and then you you have a seven-year-old or a six-year-old who watches that and has no clue. And I think that's what's so genius about Disney Pixar. They can do something that you're like, oh, wow, okay, well, this is nostalgic for me and I get this metaphor. And then the kids or whatever can totally enjoy it with their all their innocence. And then in 20 years' time, they'll be like, oh, wow, I didn't know. So I am... I was talking to my friend Bobby today and Bobby has a daughter who's in the fourth grade. And I was like, Oh, turning red. It's so good. Like you, you should watch it. And he said like, yeah. Um, like his, his wife had already seen it cause she was visiting friends and in, I think Indiana and they watched it. And he was like, I think we're going to wait like a year or two to watch it with our daughter because like right now she's so on the cusp of being there that I think it would be better to watch it when she's, in it than to show it to her now when it's like something she's still looking forward to. And I was like, I can kind of see that. Cause like I can show it to Cora and she'll get like nothing and it will like be a thing that lives with her. But like for his daughter, it might just be like too immediate to really like resonate in that way. Like she might be like in that one and a half year area where it's just like, oh god, this is something I have to look forward to, and I'm like too stressed out about it to like find it funny. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel, and I was like, I can understand that because like my daughter's terrified of losing teeth. That's like the only biological change Aww. she knows it's coming. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no. So if I like tried to show her a movie about a tooth fairy, she'd probably just spend the entire time stressed out about losing her teeth. Oh, I know. And like other kids in her class are doing it. And like kids, obviously a grade above her are doing it. And every time I'm like, see there, they got a loose tooth and they're fine with it. And then the kid will say something like, it kind of hurts, but I'm like, shut up. (laughs) It bled. Mouth Phineas. (laughs) Oh, I have a question about that actually, because since this, you know, actually I do think that I never thought about the tooth losing thing as like a proto puberty. So that's very interesting to me, but I'm curious if other people, had their parent tie a string to their tooth and and also tie the, the other end to a yeah to a doorknob ha, did anybody's parents do that or is that mm. totally like brutal i am a, i am aware yeah. of that as a trope in like tv shows but i've never had it done to me okay 
I think Any, that's the prevailing else jazz. Did you ever? Nope. Never had that done. Mm, nope. I've thought about it. I thought about it doing it myself, but like I'm, I'm bad with floss. Like I can't use <laughs> floss. I have to have like those little picks. Otherwise like uh, flossing is out or I mean, realistically, yeah, I, I use, I use a water pick. If I were better with but, a lariat, I maybe would have done it, but there was no way yeah. I was going to be able to tie that floss around my teeth. I know that in Arthur, yeah, the, no. the animated TV show, Arthur, he wanted to lose a tooth, and I think that they they illustrated like a way that he could do it. Hmm. And it was the, the floss around the door. I think that's like a common thing because it's just like, all right, we're gonna rip this bad boy out. It's a common thing that you see on TV, but I don't know anybody else who did that. I'm assuming this right. is something that happened to you. Yes, I don't remember being particularly traumatic. I think the tooth was fairly loose, but yeah, I also I, think of my father was... as a bit of a wild man. <laughs> I was such a coward. I like I like would lose my tooth while asleep because I just refused to let anyone touch it. I would like lose weight when my tooth was loose. Would you like because... sl- like drink? I mean, not drink. Did you swallow the tooth? No, but I'd like wake up and it would either be like in my mouth or on my pillow or something. That is way more visceral than wow. any uh, like. I just, I was so um, afraid of like just reaching in and yanking it out. Cause I was like, it's going to hurt. I don't like it. My parents are like, it's not going to hurt. It's not even technically in there anymore. I think your other teeth are just holding it in. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, 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 no. this is going to happen in God's own time. This will happen. <laughs> Poor Cora. She's like, oh, mm. oh yeah. She's freaked the fuck out about losing her teeth. What is she, five and a half now? She is like five and uh, ten, five sixths. She's going to turn six in like two months. Thank you. Jesus. All right. Uh, One thing I want to mention and bring up is that this film kind of turns at a certain point where it becomes very obvious that maybe the panda is not like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And I, I was I was so struck by going like being at the halfway point and being like because uh, Eric and I. Uh, decided to watch it late one like started up late one night and so we had to pause it halfway through and we were coming back from a movie and i was like or something else and i was just like they better not fucking banish this this damn panda i was like they should not (laughs) treat this thing like it's a disease like that's that's terrible like what is wrong with being a panda i don't i don't get it like you know and i was just like i was so hopeful halfway through the movie that that, like they were not going to go down that route where you know so many other films would have probably ended up banishing it or you know being like hey hurrah like like you know this this crazy demented thing that could possibly and i just saw so much good or so much potential of interesting storytelling choices and i'm so glad they did they went down that route because i was really fearful that they were going to you know go the obvious direction right cuz i mean it, i i was this movie not to overstate anything but it kept me on the edge of my seat as to whether <laughs> or not she was going to keep this panda or not cuz i was constantly mm-hmm. like I don't know. She seems like she's having fun and it's a pretty powerful thing to have. But also like, yeah, she is like just like running away from her family and being like, F you, I'm going to go to this fucking concert. I can't believe I self-censored myself. And then in the same sentence said, fuck. Anyway, um, 
and then you she were like embodying runs, Mei Lin. Yeah, and then like runs away and goes to the concert. And obviously, like her mother's panda cannot be allowed to exist. But so, like it's such a it's, <laughs> the Hagrid of pandas. It's such a, <laughs> too big to exist. <laughs> too too what it, what was the I can't even remember. So I'm not gonna bring it. The up. line is too big to be allowed. No, I was gonna say what's the one from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where it's like you know god's mistake like too beautiful to live too crazy to something anyway it doesn't matter what i was gonna say is it's it is and i think that that's how you know that the the metaphor works really well because that is the struggle when you decide to like break with your family in some way or to embrace like a new part of yourself that's coming out as you age like to to say like this isn't a a cure-all it's going to create its own kinds of problems but are the benefits that i'm gaining like worth worth it you know is the juice worth the squeeze you mean like is it worth it to get your period once a month no well okay well obviously i think that the um family has not banished their periods i think that the (laughs) the panda has more to do with embracing the the new sense of self and independence and rebelliousness than the actual biological concerns. Feel free to correct well, me if you think so. I also thought it was interesting. I mean, it I, is mixed I, everything, I, but like, you know, you can't, you can't say it's just having a period every month because it's then not, what, are, what are we saying about not. the grandma and the aunts and the mom? I, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm, okay. Go ahead, Anyways, um, w- one thing that I, I found really heartfelt and interesting about this film is that it kind of pulls a Luca, which if you haven't seen Luca, go watch Luca. Um, but I'm going to spoil something a little bit in here. I'm going to not give too many details so you don't quite know. But, you know, if you start watching Luca, sorry. Uh, but this film also kind of pivots at a point where may decides not to kind of stick up for herself and not stick up for her friends just like it happens in luca and they're devastated by that they're they're really hurt and they even like vocalize that like in the moment and i thought that was such an interesting moment that they that i've seen twice now and i'm not sure if that's you know i mean obviously having that kind of pivotal moment where you don't quite explain yourself to someone else to save face that's that's definitely like a a cliche and and a thing that you know is seen in a lot of films especially dealing with relationships or young people or things like that um but i just it just struck me as very odd but also like really the way that they go into it and they don't shy away from like you know uncovering that a little bit um was really powerful in this film i thought um and it it made me really sad because there is so much pressure both on the mother and the child and you see how the grandma's effect has on on the mother and you can see how it's been passed down 
right? Like this fear of, of not being able to live up to your mother's expectations and also like not being able to even talk to your mother about this kind of stuff. You know, obviously like she gave like this big presentation, why she should go to Fort town and all this, but you know, that took a ton of energy and a ton of nerve to build up to. And you can tell that this is the first time that was the first time where she really like tried and, you know, it was shut down immediately. Like her mom just was not having it. And it wasn't even like a discussion. It was just like, no, we're not going to discuss this. In fact, I'm going to tell you all the ways that you're wrong. It was like, okay, you know, um, But yeah, I I thought that scene was very powerful. And I like that the friends were like, you betrayed us, you know? Yeah, Pixar is really like uh, going against like snitches and and, uh, turncoats lately. (laughs) I I think it's good. I think it's about time we call out those people. Um, Now that we're in the spoiler section, Jad, was there anything that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, no, I was just going to say to that point, like... You know, when she's in the bathroom at the, at the beginning, when, you know, when she wakes up and she finds out she's a panda and you see like the dad just has disappeared. And it's like it that that moment was just such a I don't know, it just was such a, a, a an interesting moment, given that, like, you know, I, I, oh my gosh, I think it came before it, the scene where they're cooking dim sum or they're cooking bao right for dinner mm-hmm. and it's just like the dad just kind of switches like they go from this tender moment to like oh wait hang on something's happening the dad just runs off but ultimately like he turns out to be like on her side um and the most supportive of her and he gets that whole her journey and i found that i found that such a beautiful and you know, a beautiful moment and just how his, I mean, I guess going back to his character, just like how he was such a great drawn out character and he goes through his emotions too, but he also gets what May, you know, what May is going through, given that he's been through it with his wife and his mother-in-law. Um, yeah. It was just, it's just so well done. And I know there's criticism around the film, but you know, it's like, well, I um this is the we we brought this up in the pre-roll. What is some of the criticism that's been going on around this film? Uh I think the most I mean, well, there was that whole thing of like, well, I can't there was the unrelatable aspect oh, yeah. to right. it. I yeah, I don't even I don't even count that as like valid criticism. <laughs> I don't, you know, I mean that was an int- I was like, wait, did we watch the same film? And you know, having wait, done, was- you know, critics yeah it's it's one of those things where he's like oh there's nothing to relate to here like this is not for me i was like did you not go through period like do you not have parents like if if you say that and you mean it i have to feel bad for you because it feels like you missed a lot of the essential parts of growing up it's very weird i know it was just like wait you've never obsessed over like a boy or a girl like even just being a teen, you know, puberty, as you say. And then there's, I think, you know, I've been seeing some things like parents that they don't want their, their, you know, their girls to, to be like, um, you know, 13 and obsessed with boys. And I was like, wait, what? Like, oh, you, I don't know. You're sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's I, I happen. You're in the vast majority of them. 
it's going to happen to you. So even if you didn't show them this fist, like unless you're keeping them at home and they're yeah. not out in the world, it's just, yeah. It's like someone so, brought up the fact that know. like I painted my daughter's room pink and I was like, first of all, she got to pick the color. <laughs> Second of all, she also loves snakes and sharks. So like, don't come at me like that. I was like, you know, there's just some things that are going to happen that are going to line up with stuff. Yeah. And it's not bad. It's your reaction to it or your necessitating of it that makes it bad. Yeah. So like, don't be pissed if your daughter falls in love with a boy band. Like, just hope that they have music that doesn't suck so you can <laughs> like stand to be in the room. Yeah. And this this music doesn't suck. Oh, yeah. So. No, this music's great. Um, and I say that I was a fan of, uh, of, um, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, uh, when they came out in all honesty, I think See, and, my, and, uh, and my second or third CD ever was the, uh, debut NSYNC album. Wait, wow. wait, wait. Uh, I think we should go around and talk about our first CDs. Oh, uh, like, that's a like little unrelated, sense. but uh, I, I do want to, <laughs> I do want to talk about like the, the turning point on like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, because I know like for guys in particular of my age it was very kind of unpopular to also be a fan of that music um right. i used to listen even... to toy to, uh, total request live and stuff yeah. like that and like i i fuck like i i loved the backstreet boys like i i was into that shit um not all their music but like their pop hits i will still fucking play and like i will still play it out on like the gym radio like like uh backstreet's back and uh yeah um what uh, else uh there no that's too too slow for um but see that's like the that's uh, the, the gym people like turned around on them for when everyone realized that we could all sing i want it that way we were like oh wait sure maybe they were yeah but uh, it's funny because like it, it has kind of especially for my generation it has kind of turned and i think um you know not to give it too much credit but a huge part of that is like Seth Rogen and uh, wh- what's that movie? This is the, this end. Is the end. Really? That's what you're where, Oh, I love that movie. I like where movie. they I like, like, yeah, the whole film like ends up being a celebration, a secret celebration of that song yeah, and, heaven, and Backstreet Boy. Yeah. And it's just like, like, all of them are obsessed with that song and they're like, this is a fucking great song. And I feel like that kind of let open a can of people just being like, fuck yeah, that's a good song. Like, I don't care who, who who's like, you know, I'm a grown adult now. Uh, and and I so mean, I thought it was, was funny. A, when I was a kid, I caught hell because I thought as long as you love me was a great song. I think that was like their mm-hmm. first song they ever put out. So I was like early. Yeah. I was like, this is a what a bunch song. of losers into boy bands. <laughs> I can't help with uh, you know this. Wait, I, wasn't Quit Playing Games like their first like oh, I think didn't that wrong. come in like ninety like ninety six or something? Like oh, as long as you love me. Like all of that stuff was like I think yeah, this was like ninety eight, ninety nine. And then yeah. and then I think the switch over to InSync happened when I was in sixth grade, and that was two thousand. So yeah, larger than life is the other other jam that mm. I play uh, on the gym. <laughs> so their first one was "I'll Never Break Your Heart" in nineteen ninety. Oh my gosh! 
Wow. I don't think that one got popular until some of the other ones really hit. It really heated up in the like very end of the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, mm. welcome to our podcast on the Backstreet Boys. Um, but I am curious, like, what were your, like, what was the thing that you were obsessed with similarly to, like, Four Town? Jazz, I would go. say Michael, I, I would say, say Michael Jeff, Jackson. Right? <laughs> no, I, Michael okay. Jackson. I had Michael Jackson and Madonna, like, really, like, I saved up all my pocket money. Now I'm showing my age, but I had that I had True Blue. I had, I didn't actually get through it. I got bad on cassette and then Janet Jackson's control. And then I just kind of switched to share, like when she came out mm. with, if I could turn back time and then that stuck through like to adulthood. Uh, but I did want to go and see like, and then I went through like a Guns N' Roses, Nine Inch Nails, like Pearl Jam phase, but I did want to go and see Michael Jackson play on the bad tour at Wembley Arena, the stadium, and I was not allowed to go. Oh. And I was like, <gasps> So but what, yeah. what you needed to do was turn into a red panda and <laughs> let a bunch of people take exactly. pictures of you. <laughs> and then uh, run away from your Save family money. during a mystical uh, process that would have sealed the panda forever. Save money. To this day, having, I mean, I now live in, in L.A., to this day, I've never seen a concert at Wembley Stadium. I wanted to go and see Guns N' Roses on the Use Your Illusion 2 tour. And it was like, you are absolutely not going to that concert. And it was basically all my friends. We were like, you know, the besties in, in um, I was going to call it Red Panda, in Turning Red. And we were like, but we weren't smart. We couldn't figure out that like we could <laughs> literally just have saved up money or like made things and like snuck out. We weren't smart enough to in terms of people being like, I hope my daughter doesn't turn out like May and obsessive over boys. I'm like, I hope my daughter turns out to be like May and is like the most craftiest, innovative entrepreneur. Exactly. <laughs> right. I, I mean, mean, she's so crafty that she literally even, commodifies herself and her heritage by the end of the movie, which I think is yeah. a little interesting. Yes. Exactly. In the, in the coda, you're like, oh, okay. Like you're you're becoming the mascot for your family temple. Like that that certainly is a is a reification of <laughs> this whole movie. I well, guess. it's finding. It's I mean, genius. she doesn't want to turn on her yeah. family completely, you know. So she's found a way to make herself work for her family, and still be a, in in a way that still lets her be like an active part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Did you know there was like an end scene? Uh, like yeah, a... her, her dad dancing to Four Town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did see that. I did. See oh, there, there's something post credits. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Post credits, and it's a okay. lot better than the one at the end of the Batman. Um, <laughs> oh god, let's not even talk about that. Oh, um, that film. <laughs> yeah, this movie is like a billion. This movie. You could watch this also movie half twice. the runtime. Yeah. <laughs> I know. If you take out the credits, you could probably watch it two and a half times. Um, but yeah, so uh, I don't know that I ever got into anything in the way these girls were into Four Town. Like, I was never one of those kids who bought like books about like people, like magazines featuring whatever. Oh, if I knew you were going to ask this question, I'd ask my parents because they would have known. They would have known because they. I probably would have had to have asked them to buy it for me. You know. But um, so you don't even remember. 
I well, if I had one, I don't remember it. No, like I, you know, I liked I liked the boy bands. I um I enjoyed uh, Christina Aguilera more than Britney Spears. Um, but like these weren't. I never like wanted to go to a concert. You know, like I was never that like the music was a part of my life, a big part of my life. But it wasn't until much later that I became like interested in ever experiencing it beyond just like the radio or something. And like I never got like a Trapper Keeper with Leonardo DiCaprio on it. I don't feel like I don't feel like boys are really asked to to commodify their desires for other people in that way. You know, like even in elementary yeah. school, like girls were like, Oh, JTT, JTT. He's so dreamy. And like, you know, again, like, um, what's his face? Leonardo DiCaprio. But like, you know, as a guy, you don't go into the school supply section and like try to grab up, you know, Britney Spears on a, on a folder. Cause I feel like it definitely makes you look creepy. Yeah, yeah, you're. It's a little, you know, you you, you got to really tamp down all those all those desires, which is why you know I just, I just can't remember that ever happening. You know, it was my a combination of like I don't really care about anyone that much, um, and uh, I just I was never really interested in like going and seeing anything like in that way. So yeah, I don't I don't know. Bill, did you ever? Have I mean, there's definitely like something to say about like the sexual like the non-threatening sexuality of boy band boys where you kind of just think that they have no genitalia like that's that's part of the the charm is that they're sexless whereas i feel like britney spears was sexualized so if you if you made it a part of your personality to like lust after her then you're actively admitting that that is part of the charm like right, i don't know yeah. i kind of see it as like the pinup thing um, right yeah admitted. like that's that's the thing is like a girl could have a a a, 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 post, a poster of four town right and it'd be like they're so dreamy like uh right like maybe oh, like could, he like, looks like the sensitive one right like and like you get really invested in their personalities but like a guy with a picture of britney spears from the baby one more time video and it's just like we just try not to open the door without knocking <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. what about you bill uh i think my first cd was probably first cd that i bought with my own money was probably metallica's and justice for all so mm. um and i listened uh, that was like my only metallica cd too um wow. and i listened to that what? thing all the <laughs> fucking time well i mean i <laughs> i would really borrow no, I would borrow other CDs from friends, but that was the one that like I purchased and um yeah, I I listened to that thing so much that like I could fall asleep to it. Like I was just like, all right, this is just my jam. And so now anytime like I have the opportunity to play like Black End or any of these other songs like you just I'm fall just asleep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I like it just reminds me of childhood so much. But mm. um no, I mean I I listen to a lot of music. I think Lenny Kravitz was like one a big like one early on um but I mean when I was a really young it was all about Alan Jackson and I I was Who? into country music. Alan Jackson. He's a very <laughs> okay, big country music. Like, Who the fuck is that? Yeah, sorry. Uh, Texas yeah. boy. 
Uh, yeah, uh, he's a big country artist that uh, isn't as big as he was anymore. Uh, think of it as like lesser Garth Brooks. All right. Oh, um, all right yeah. And um, I used to listen to the shit out of his music. And then I realized that there was music like Metallica. And I was like, oh, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Aww. so I switched. Um, but yeah, that's still... That still lingers where I don't I don't like country pop anymore or not anymore. I don't like it at all. And Alan Jackson's kind of like right on that edge where it's mm-hmm. it's upbeat, it's fun, but it's also very much country. It's not trying to be rock and roll. And uh yeah. So I still see bands like Florida Georgia Line and I'm just like, really? Like what are y'all doing? That's that's just pop music. I forgot we were talking and you about- and you throw in like a violin. I forgot we were talking about like first albums. I think my first album might have been the soundtrack to City of Angels. Oh, geez. Wow. And it purely because I really loved that one Goo Goo Dolls song on it. Oh, <laughs> that is a really good one. Yeah, it's, it's fucking great. Iris, right? Yeah. And I, I, for me, like I went straight from my first cassette ever, I'm pretty sure, was Titanic soundtrack. Oh, my first wow. cassette totally ever seems- was the Top Gun soundtrack. yeah i hear you i hear you i mean titanic was first and foremost my my like prime the very first fandom i i got into and and even though harry potter is like the prime fandom of my life uh titanic was definitely you know the starter starter fandom so harry potter could run exactly so game of thrones could fly (laughs) (laughs) i am and i was obsessed with the spice girls i mean like had all the barbies would watch the Spice World movie over and over and over again. The Spice Girls are still in my life for a very weird reason. So uh, I'm I'm into Formula One now, and oh, no, everybody the, is. So many fucking my husband are into is totally Formula into it. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, that that Netflix documentary series uh, really real. did a number on people. My husband binged uh, it this weekend. Yeah. Uh, oh, the new season? Jesus yeah. Christ. This this fucking last season was insane. Um, but uh, no spoilers for that. But um, yeah, uh, Jerry Hallowell is married to the team principal of Red Bull Racing. And oh. every time she's on there. Oh, you didn't you didn't realize that? Oh, yeah. I don't watch uh, it. I mean, oh, OK. All right. Christian Horner is married to uh, Jerry Hallowell. And so every time they show Christian Horner, usually Jerry Hallowell is like in the background somewhere and you're just like oh look a spice girl <laughs> does she still have those like little like frosted strings she still has red hair <laughs> okay but then she has no. like the, the bleached frost on like littering nah, her face nah, nah oh that's too bad well i was definitely more of a i mean my personality was posh naturally so and that's who i dress up for my spice girl's birthday party when i was 10 years old Woo. all right it's a. Uh, we have it's at the, the hour and a half mark. Say, so no, no, we, we've hit. Um, I think we ended on a good note, which was bringing in that nostalgia flavor. So thank you for everybody for answering my question. Uh, yes, and um, before we go, Jazz, is there any? Are there? Is there any? Are there? Are there any final things you'd like to say or points you'd like to make? Have we two years? Flush spice all the way. 
<laughs> I don't. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I think you. I was. Wait a second. I'm about to say this, and I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. I was about to say I think I was too young for the Spice Girls, but that can't be because Robin, you're younger than me, right? Yeah, but it appealed to late elementary girls that may not have been like That's possible. Yeah, you may not have been the right age. For the okay, so like for the longest time, like I listened to the oldies radio station with my parents, and so I was like, "Oh my god, the Beatles, the Doors, like you know, the the oh, Shangri Las, the Crystals." And then I realized, like, you know, oh, no. you know what they all my all you my know what friends they, are getting into contemporaneous music. I got to get on this shit, and I did, and I went to the boy bands for some reason. The, the, oh the sad thing is now the oldies radio station will play so- songs from bands like Nirvana and oh, yeah, The 100%. Offspring, well, to, and to you're just like you're like what (laughs) it's classic rock no one bowling for soup song when did motley Crue become classic rock uh-huh. Yeah, my uh when did bowling my, for soup become classic rock? Yeah, now we my, oh, that's my English my English teacher in high school uh said that she knew she was getting older when a Led Zeppelin song was used to advertise for a Cadillac. And she was just like, What is going <laughs> on? <laughs> a Cadillac? What? Led Zeppelin? No. <laughs> So and that's, everything, that's everything like, turns, everything turns. My schema for Led Zeppelin is probably from commercials. Yeah. So that's sad. all right. Anyway, and the world uh, turns anyway, and, and on a downer. <laughs> uh, we are all getting older and we'll one day die. Um, let's, uh, let's get out of here. I hope I turn into a red panda in the meantime. That'd be pretty uh, dope. No, you're a boy. You can't. You can turn into a, a blue bow, panda. Yeah, you get nothing. A in the bow, sequel, Jesus! Bow. <laughs> I was about to say in the sequel, we'll find out what uh what the men turn into. I you know, I, I did I did like was... that Tyler Tyler turns out to be a secret floor town fan. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> or, yeah okay. or, what do they call? Cool. Yeah, townie. <laughs> I am. Um, I can't even bring up what I wanted to bring up because we're going to be here for another hour. So I'm just not going to bring it up. Um. Bonus episode. <laughs> I was about to say, sucks for everyone who's listening right now. Um, let's uh, let's get out of here. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. Don't forget that we were brought to you by Mubi. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day subscription to the uh, fantastic service that is Mubi. Um, Le- Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? The worst person in the world. Who's that? You. Oh, I. You know what? As soon as I said "Who's that?", I realized I should have said, "Oh, I don't want to talk about Bill." <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I know. Ugh, that would have been such a good burn. I know, and instead, I went for a, a weirder joke that <laughs> just set you up to take me down. So, proves me right. It all worked out for me. Anyway, I'll be better next week. Um, so that's awesome. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we're shouting in their ears. Jazz, would you like to tell people where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Jazz T, or you can find me on Instagram at Jazz T21. Awesome. Bill Graham, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me playing Nobody Like You on repeat on Instagram at Billstagram, and also <laughs> find me on Twitter at CableBFG and mixing it up in the Slack channel. Yeah, Bill's going to be posting a bunch of reels and TikToks of him making up dance moves to that song. So. <laughs> What are you talking about? I don't have to make them up. I can just watch the movie again and just rip them out for that. 
True. Yeah. Uh, if you want that to happen, go to patreon.com. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not on TikTok, though. <laughs> if we get up to a certain dollar amount, Bill will make a TikTok so that he can dance to that song to it. <laughs> All right. Robin Barr, what do you call? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, you can also uh, sometimes find my writing at the Hollywood, Re- uh, Hollywood Reporter. And I'm also on Letterboxd. Uh, also at Robin Barr. And don't judge me for using four stars on my Letterboxd review, okay? Don't judge. Four stars, four down, five exactly. stars. <laughs> it's all coming up, Robin. Four down There's gets no... five stars, but in Robin's taxonomy, that means that three stars gets four stars. Yeah, it's there's no fifth star. Nothing will ever reach a fifth star, not even the Godfather. <laughs> All right. Anyway, as for me, I am uh, Brian J. Rowan. You can find me on all the social media sites at Brian J. Rowan. And um, yeah, I feel like that's it. You can go to uh, thefilmstage.com to get my uh, writings and to listen to every episode of this here podcast. So thank you in advance and come back next week. 